I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me today, if you have them, and I hope that you do. Boy, bring them every time we come to the house of God. You're going to need the Bible. And, uh, I mean, if you believe what the Bible teaches, then you ought to attend a church that teaches the Bible. Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, uh, you know, reading the as nice as I like the Daily Times, that's not going to help me. Amen. It's not going to strengthen me. All right? And... Uh, and so I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Titus with me. Titus, please. You have first and second Timothy, and then comes Titus. Titus in particular, Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. And uh, as you look at the book of Titus, Titus chapter one is all about leadership. Some of the some of the things, the, some of the expectations that the church has and should have, and these are reasonable, right expectations about leadership. Chapter 3 is about relationships, how we are out in the world, the relationship that we should have as individuals with people that are around us. And chapter 2 is about membership. It's about membership. It's about us as members of the assembly in particular. And there's a topic here that the Lord has placed on my heart this week. Thank you for praying. Boy, it made study easy and so forth. And uh, I so appreciate that. Titus chapter 2, and I want you to find your place in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Notice what it says with me. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. And let me just say to you that peculiar does not mean strange, though some of you are, all right? Peculiar does not mean strange. It doesn't. I'll tell you what it means, all right? We kind of use that today in that way, but that's not the way it's intended in this passage, all right? Uh, Peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So you say, why in the world are you preaching on the topic that you feel? Because it says right there, these things speak and exhort. I'm trying to be obedient this morning. Amen. And, uh, and I pray that you'll mix faith with what you hear, that the word preached this morning will be profitable unto you. But I want to speak to you this morning about the blessed hope. The blessed hope. And so let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your precious word and Holy Spirit. I pray you'll put me in remembrance of the things, Lord, that uh, I have here before me. I pray, Father, that you'll help me this morning. I can't do any of this without you. And Lord, I ask, as I've asked in the past, Lord, as I'm speaking on the outside, Lord, I'm trusting your spirit to speak to them on the inside. And I pray, Father, today that you'd be glorified And uh, we would be built up in our faith, Heavenly Father, as we look to Thee in these troublesome days. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you have heard about the fundamentals of the faith? 
You've heard that term used, the fundamentals of the faith. Uh, You know, some people say there's five, some say there's seven. I don't know about the right number, but I wrote a few of them down here. One of the things, one of the fundamentals of true believers, and when I say true believers, I'm, I'm talking about people who have been born again because they know that it is grace alone through faith alone, that there's no element of works in it. A true believer knows that they could never work their way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. It's not for sale. We've not been redeemed with with the corruptible things such as silver and gold. Gosh, if you had to have money in order to be forgiven, I'm in deep trouble. Amen. And as I look upon you, so are you. Amen. Aren't you glad? It wasn't based upon money. Amen. And so a true believer believes it's grace alone through faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, on Calvary. And, and so therefore, those are the true believers who believe those things, all right? And so, and so the fundamentals of the faith, as I, as I see them, I, number one thing that we ought to be in agreement upon, because believers everywhere, those true believers, are in agreement about these things, that we believe in the book. Amen. Hey, listen, that this Bible is without error, Without mixture, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's the only source of absolute truth on the planet. Amen. Uh, It doesn't agree uh, with Dr. Phil or Oprah, and that's all right. Amen. And uh, and so it's not keeping up with the media and all the, the anchors and the news people and so forth. No, it's the Word of God and has been preserved for us English-speaking people in the King James Bible. And we believe in the book. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We also believe in the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fundamental of the faith. If there be no virgin birth, there was no satisfaction in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It'd be just like anybody else dying in that day and time. But we know that Jesus was virgin born, was not of an earthly father. His heavenly father was the one that overshadowed Mary. And of the Holy Spirit, she was with child. We believe in that virgin birth. We believe in the blood atonement. Man, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus just couldn't have died. No, there had to be the shedding of blood. We know his hands and feet were pierced. His side was pierced and that blood came forth. And God was satisfied with the sacrifice of himself on the cross. There's no other way. Without the blood of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's beyond, because hey, you can't redeem yourself. You can't do it. And so a price had to be paid. We believe in the book. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the blood sacrifice of the, of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We also believe in the bodily resurrection. Man, if he didn't get up, we are of all men most miserable. We believe in the resurrection. We're going to celebrate that. Of course, you know, the world recognizes it one day out of the year, but we celebrate it every day. Amen. Hey, he got up. He's not in the ground. Not like Confucius or not like Buddha, not like uh, uh, Muhammad. All those men, are their bones are in the ground yet today, turned to dust. But not the Lord Jesus. He got up. Amen. The Bible says that he was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. There's only one. That's what separates Christianity from every other ism on the planet. It is the resurrection from the dead. And he arose. And we believe without without controversy, we believe 
in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we also believe one of the fundamentals of the faith is the blessed hope. The blessed hope. And that is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for His church. And, uh, and I don't know when it's going to be. Imminent just simply means it could happen at any moment. It could happen before I'm done preaching. I'd say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And, uh, you know, because income taxes are coming. Amen. I, we'd rather not have to pay those. We'd rather be out of here. Now, I, I, now I'm, I'm not trying to be funny about a serious topic, but I'm just telling you that, hey, he's coming back. He's coming for us, and the Bible says that we have this hope. And I want you to know, as we look at this this morning, I want you to know that it is a, it is a, it is a promise of hope, all right? It is a promising hope that we have. Some people want to deny the fact that the church is going to be taken out. Some people deny that fact altogether. But I want you to know that the Bible teaches us in several places that there is a blessed hope that the Lord Jesus is going to return for His church. We are the church, not this brick and mortar or or metal siding and building and two-by-fours and sheetrock. That's not the church. This is a building. But if you've been saved by the grace of God, you are a part of the church. And He's coming back for us. Coming back for us. And so I want you to know that it is a promised hope. Well, do you have scripture for that? Yes, I do. I'm glad you asked. Amen. Well, I mean, if, if He's not coming back, if you say it's not so, then why in the world should we be looking for something that's not going to happen? Look in verse 13. Notice what He said that we are looking for that blessed hope. We're supposed to be looking for that. Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, He said, look up, because your redemption draweth nigh. If it's not going to happen, if He's not going to return, why in the world would Paul be telling Timothy, these are the things that I want you to do? It's a promised hope. It also is a crowning hope, if you will. Look with me. Go back just a couple of pages in your Bible. Look in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, it it is a promised hope that we have. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look in verse 8. Notice what Paul tells Timothy. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that what? Love His appearing. If He wasn't coming back, why would Paul write under inspiration and say, there's a crown waiting on me because I'm not only looking, but I'm loving His appearing. I I want it to be today. I'm loving for it to happen. And there's a crown. Did you know that? You can have a crown just because you love the appearing of the Lord. And, uh, And that's not a hard thing to do. Listen, the darker it gets around here, the more we desire to be in the light. Amen. And so too it is. And He's going to bring that with Him. And so He's coming back for us. So we see that, not only, not only there to be looking for something of that blessed hope, but also I want you to see with me, look in 1 Thessalonians. A correction, look in 1 Corinthians with me. Look in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're talking about a promised hope. And all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen. God keeps His word. He doesn't tell us one thing and then do something else. No, that's what men do. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that God is not a man that He should lie. And so we have that blessing. 
we have that blessing, beloved, of the promise of God. And it is a promised hope. And when you say hope, Brother Ed, do you mean like, well, I hope it happens? Is that a maybe? No, that's a confident hope. I know it's going to happen. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has given His Word on it. And that's all that we need. Amen. And notice what it says. Look at me in 1 Corinthians 15. And look over there with me. Look in verse 50. Notice what he said. Now I say, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Listen, wherever the Bible refers to us or to those that sleep in Jesus, when you're asleep, how many of you all, what's the word? I'm trying, there's a word for it. How many of you all are easily awakened when you fall asleep? All right. I, I'm finding that the older I get, the more easily I am disturbed. I, I guess it's called a light sleeper. Is that what that would be? I think when I was younger, man, when I was out, I was out. And I don't know if that had to do with how much activity I had during the day, but I've but I become a light sleeper. And whenever the Bible refers to sleep, beloved, what you must understand is that's always... It, it, let me ask you, is sleep permanent? No. Not by how we slept last night, amen? Somebody said, well, I slept just like a baby. That means you rolled over every two hours and you cried. Amen. That's how babies sleep. <laughs> That'll become very real to you, brother, shortly, all right? And... Uh, and so, isn't that, isn't that true, moms and dads? Isn't that true? They roll over two hours. Yeah, that's right. I slept like a baby. Yeah, you did. Yeah, but sleep, it's a temporary state. And so what Paul is trying to comfort us and help us here is that sleep is a temporary state. Notice what he said, Behold, we shall not all sleep. Now, he's referring here in this situation, he equates death for the believer with sleep. That it is not permanent, it is temporary. And so those that have died in Christ who sleep in Jesus, the Bible's going to say another place we're going to look, those are God going to bring with Him. All right? So notice something with me. Now, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but watch, but we shall all be what? Changed. We're going to be changed. Why? Because verse 50 tells us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body in its sinful condition in which it still is right now, that's why it's getting old and wrinkly and things break and so forth and it hurts. This body is unredeemed and this body is not ready for heaven. It has to be changed. Thank God. Amen. It's going to be changed. It's going to be changed. Now listen, you've heard me say, well, man, I'm going to have hair and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, and we kind of laugh about that. But do you know what? Do you know what? That's not the change. First John tells us we don't know what we're going to be, but we know this. We're going to be as He is. And how was He? Listen, the Lord's not going to conform us to the image, if you will, the, the height and weight and skin color and skin tone of the Lord Jesus. That's not what He's replacing in us. Man, He's going to take out that old selfishness that's down in that old nature and put generosity in there and put grace in there and put, and put love in there and joy in there, the things that are in Christ. That's what we're going to be made after, beloved. Not some picture, not, certainly not some picture with long flowing hair and looking effeminate. That's not the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not. Because the Bible, and I'll just take a little, I'll just chase a rabbit here because the scripture says, Doth not nature itself teach a man that it's a shame to have long hair? Would the Lord Jesus walk around with long hair? And they said, well, they said, well, he was a Nazarite. He had a Nazarite out. No, he didn't. 
No, 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 no. You do err not knowing the scriptures if that's what you think. He, he was from the town of Nazareth. A Nazarite is someone who couldn't touch a vine, couldn't touch the husk, couldn't have a raisin, couldn't be anywhere around a grape, couldn't touch a dead person. Didn't Jesus touch dead people? And you know what? They just wouldn't stay dead after he did that. He'd touch them, they'd come to life. Did he, did he ever handle a grape? Did he ever drink the juice of the grape? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He was not a Nazarite. And it's the Nazarite vow where they had long hair. That's where Samson had the long hair. And it was something, it was something to be ridiculed even then because that's why he had the long hair. Because he did take a Nazarite vow. His parents did take a Nazarite vow. Jesus is from the town of Nazareth. That's not the same as the Old Testament Nazarite vow. Got to know your Bible. So all these pictures we see painted by other people and their isms and their beliefs and all. Beloved, nobody knows what Jesus looked like. Some people say he was black. Some people say he was white. Probably, probably, I bet you, I bet you somebody will say that he was Latin. You know, but you know what? He was Jewish. Amen, brother Ed. That doesn't mean white or black or brown or red. He was a Jew. Olive skin. I don't know. I just know he was Jewish. He wasn't white. He's not a white Jew. It doesn't bother me. Man, he's the son of God. I didn't come. You know, listen. Man, we, we, get, we got so much bigotry and stuff in us. It's no wonder we need to change. Amen. Haven't you heard that little song? Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children. Now that's true, but He doesn't want us acting like little children as we get older. Smile at me. Amen. Yeah. It's a promised hope, beloved. We're going to be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And we're going to have victory in that. And that's why he says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, be unmovable. The last verse, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because these things, it's going to matter. It's going to matter. We have this promise. It is a promised hope. Look with me. Look with me. I asked you to go to 1 Thessalonians now. Turn back to the right. Go to 1 Thessalonians with me. And look in, look in chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Do you know that every chapter has a reference in 1 Thessalonians? Every, at the end of every chapter, there is a reference to the Lord's return. And we're to be looking for this blessed hope. We're to be looking for it. And beloved, we're to be living in the light of it. It makes that kind of difference in our lives. We're talking about the blessed hope. One of the fundamentals of the faith. It is a promised hope. Notice what it says. Look at the end of verse, look at the end of chapter one. It says, it says this, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, do you understand? Listen. We're not waiting for the Antichrist. We're waiting for the real Christ. The Antichrist shows up in the tribulation. We'll be gone before the tribulation gets here. Why? Say, how do you know that? Now watch. Which, was de which delivered us from what? From what does it say at the end of verse 1? The wrath to come. Look in chapter 2 with me. A correction. Look in chapter 5. My, my apologies. Look in verse 9. 
Same book, chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to, what? Wrath. Adrian Rogers says, if, you're, if, you, if you think that the Lord Jesus is going to come, and I'm just quoting him, if, you're, if you believe that he's going to come in the tribulation or whatever, he said, you need to quit looking up, you need to start looking around. And, and if that be so, what he said was then that death was going to be the blessed hope because death was the only way to escape it. These people that are going to be here. But beloved, God has not called us to wrath. I'm not worried about what's going to happen in the tribulation. I'll be enjoying one week in heaven with the Savior. Amen. That's where it's going to be. We've been delivered. Jesus, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all. The Lord Himself said, it is finished on the cross of Calvary. There's nothing left to pay for. To add anything to that would say to God that we don't think that what Christ did was enough. But beloved, it was more than enough. More than enough. It is a promised hope. A promised hope. And we have that. We have that. 1 Corinthians 15 says that. And so look at chapter 4 with me. At the end of every chapter, uh, look at the end of chapter 2. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Look, look, look at the end of chapter 3. To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And then look at the end of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Notice what it says. Look at verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, as you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, that be us, all right, unto the coming of the Lord who shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's the rapture. That's what I'm speaking about here. The rapture shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at verse 18. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. If this was not going to happen, why in the world would we try to comfort someone? If it was going to happen, if you will, if it was going to happen in the midst of great judgment and Jacob's trouble and the sea turned to blood and all that, what comfort would there be in having to wait for something like that? No, our comfort is, is that we're going to be gone when that happens. Why? Because God has a time frame for that. And I don't have time to go through all the things of the book of Daniel, a peace treaty being signed and so forth. That'll be the end of the dispensation that we know. There's a lot of things that are going on here. But I'm just telling you, based upon the word of God, if this rapture was not going to happen, why? how can we comfort one another? If it wasn't going to happen, why would we be looking for it? If it wasn't going to happen, why should we sorrow not as others which have no hope? Beloved, it's going to happen, not because Brother Ed said so. It's going to happen because the Bible teaches. It is a promised hope that we have. And we ought not to put a question mark where God puts a period, beloved. We need to believe the Word of God as it was written. As it was written. I'm not being controversial. That's not my point this morning. I just want you to know, what does that passage say in verse 18? Wherefore, knowing all these things, comfort one another. 
When a loved one dies who's been saved by the grace of God, you're going to see them again. When, a, when, you know, when the time comes and the Lord comes for us, we're going to be changed. We're going to be out of here before those days of Jacob's trouble and the purging that takes place. It is a promised hope that we have. Again, I'm going to say I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Amen to come back. I want you to see the second thing. Not only is it a promised hope, but it is a purifying hope. Go with me to 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 3. I'm not just trying to run you around this morning in the Bible. I want you to see these things for yourself. I could tell you, I, could, I couldn't quote it, I could read it to you. But I want you to see what this says. Look in 1 John chapter 3 and look in verse 1. We're talking about the blessed hope. It is a promise and it purifies. Notice what it says. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the what? The sons of God. Wow. What kind of, I mean, that's just a, you just hardly can't describe that kind of love. Amen. Notice what it says. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Not tomorrow, not the next day. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you are a son of God right now. All right? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Wow, what a day that's going to be. Amen? And look at verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him... What does he do? He purifieth himself even as he is pure. So I want you to go back with me to Titus. He purifieth himself. That means I have a part in this. If I'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I won't be, I won't be sad when he comes down the road. Listen, you know what? You know, you, you know what? When, uh, did you ever get excited when your dad came home when you were little? You know, what, what I could kind of figure out, my dad was a painter uh, when I was in my youth. He did some other things when I got older, uh, in high school and so forth. But for the most of our lives, he was a house painter. And so he always came home with them paint pants and, you know, and all the spots on him and all that kind of stuff and everything. And I know he'd be tired and he had those big old hands and they were kind of leathery. And, uh, but you know, one thing that he loved to do with me, man, he loved to play catch. And, and even as tired as my dad was in the evening time, uh, he'd come in after supper if there was time and I got my homework done or whatever. We would get out there and throw the ball. And man, I mean, that's all we would do, just throw the ball back and forth and play catch. It was something I looked forward to. And I didn't realize maybe how, how long his day had been, maybe how tired he was, how many ladders he had to get up on to get to those hot, tall places or whatever. I didn't realize, you know, when you're little, man, your dad can do anything, can't he? He can outfight yours, outgun yours, out, outdo everything that your dad can do. That's how it ought to be. What, what, you know, the, what your dad can do. And so I never, I never, as a boy, because I'm not thinking, right, I never considered all those things that he might be tired. And if he was, he never let on to me. And we'd just get the glove out there, and man, we would throw, and he would tell me, because he, he liked to pitch, and, and he was involved in my baseball growing up and so forth. And man, he just loved to do that, excited to do that. And, uh, but, but you know what? But the last person I wanted to see when I didn't get my chores done in the evening was my dad. I gave you the good stuff first, amen. Yeah, but when I hadn't done my job, when I hadn't been doing what he said to do, 
That was the last person I wanted to see. You know, listen, man, my dad would tell me stories. When his dad would come home, they'd see him coming down, and they knew they hadn't done right. And there were, there were three of the brothers still living at home right there. They would pack up their bags, and they would run outside, and one brother would throw them out the window, out of the upstairs window, so they could take it and run down to a cabin where there was a man that lived there, and his name was Aby, and they would hide down there from my, from my grandfather until he got past what he was going to be angry about when he learned about what my grandmother was going to tell him what those boys did. And so they even took it a step further. They were not going to be there when, when he came. But you know what, beloved? We already read about those that there's a crown for those that love His appearing. You know, when you've been doing right, you don't have to be afraid when an authority comes. And that's why this passage says that a man purifies himself even as he is pure. You see, the Lord, you're, you're, you're there in Titus. Notice, notice what it says. Look in, verse, look in verse 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Notice what it says. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now watch. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Do you see that? You ought to underline that. Purify unto himself. This hope, the blessed hope, is not only a promised hope, but it is a purifying hope. That we ought to be doing what we're supposed to be doing when he comes back. One of those things is, is that we're to be sober-minded. We ought to be sober about some things. Look, look with me in chapter 2. Look in verse 2. Notice what it says. That the aged men be what? What's the very first thing that he expects of them? To be sober. He's not talking about being not drunk. But what he's meaning here is not to be intoxicated on the foolishness and silliness of the world. To be serious, that's right. Look at verse 4. That they may teach the young women, speaking of the older women, the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to do what? To be what? To be sober. It, doesn't say, it didn't say somber. doesn't mean, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm go, I get to go to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to church. Man, I know some people like that. You've heard me say it. They were baptized in pickle juice. Amen. I don't know what happened to them. But they soured up somewhere. That's not what God says. He doesn't say be somber, but be sober-minded. The older men are supposed to be sober, that they can teach the younger men. The, young, the, the older women are supposed to be that way, that they can teach the younger women that way. And look, look in verse 6 what it says. Young men likewise exhort to be what? Sober-minded. Are young men silly sometimes? Girls mature faster, but I've seen a lot of silly girls. I've seen some silly women. Silliness, you know what is silliness is that you laugh at the things that aren't funny. Silliness is when you show a disrespect for the things of God or the house of God. Now we don't have to sit here all like church mice. But it just means that we respect the house of God. There's just some things that we're not going to do in here. And there's just some things that we're not going to do when we are here. Do I think that laughter and so forth and joy? Yes, I do. But there's just some things we're just not going to do here. Why? Because it, is not being, it's not, it does not speak of sobriety. 
We need to do the right things with the right attitude. In other words, the Bible is not a book of suggestions. It's a book of commands. Oh, it has some suggestions in it. But I'll guarantee it's commands. And those that, those that are not sober-minded, they just see that, well, these are just some guidelines. I can kind of take them or use them, uh, take them or leave them. They kind of have what I call a cafeteria Christianity. You know, like, you know, like when you're going to, maybe when you went to Del Norte's, they have a nice buffet. Or maybe you went to Y.O., you know, and you got there and you said, ooh, oh, man, that's a, ooh, I, I, that creeps me out. I don't want that. I, oh, yes, I like this right here. That's not how the Bible is. You, the Bible is you eat what God puts on your plate. And you don't whine. That means you eat the things that you don't necessarily like. I know that your flesh doesn't like you to do. We used to have a thing called, Debbie thought of it, it was called free night. Did you ever have free night at your house? Free night was, if you didn't like what was there, you didn't have to eat it. It's free night. But the other six days in the week, sorry, bud, free papers burned right there. Yeah, you had to eat what was there. And God, but God doesn't have a free night. The Scripture says in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Brother, it'd get off of this. No, it's so. You can't have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude and expect to be happy when your Heavenly Father comes back. You all with me? Do you understand the, the picture I'm painting here? I'm trying to paint. Look, at, look, in, verse, look in verse 12. What does, this, what does this hope teach us? It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live sober. Oh, there's that word again. We should live soberly. Is that what it says? Righteously and godly in this present world. So not only, not only does it purify us as far as sober-mindedness, in other words, taking spiritual things, taking important things seriously. But the other one is also sanctification. It's moving me away from the world that I have come from. Sanctification is a setting apart. Sanctification speaks about a holiness. I'm moving in this direction. It's a part of what repentance is. Repentance was God confronted me and I saw where I was and Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please save me. Change me. Repentance is that turning. I'm not on that pathway anymore. Now I'm walking over here with Him. David said, he, 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 man, he took me out of, a mire, out, of, out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and, and established my goings. And that's what sanctification is. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's verse 15 or 16, it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. That means we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to live like the world. We don't want to talk like the world. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to do the things that I used to do that I know that are not right. Well, just a little bit's okay. Tell that to your children. We expect more sometimes of our children than we are willing to expect of ourselves. Well, he won't mind. How do you know? You misjudge him. That's one of the things that we as, as American Christians, I don't know about everywhere, but I feel like here, when I say here, I'm, just, I'm talking about here in America, and well as, as well as here right now, is that we, we underestimate the holiness of God about things. 
You say, well, Brother Ed, are you preaching perfection? No. But I do think a direction matters. It matters, and those are choices that we make. Well, I, I, only, I only cuss a little. Well, I, I only drink a little. Well, let me ask, How many holes do you have to put in the boat before it begins to take on water? Just one. Well, gosh, can I, can, can I have any fun? Well, man, I under, that bothers me when you have an appetite. Our, your past, you just can't give way to it, beloved. It's one thing to be overtaken. The Scripture says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. All right? And what's, what's the point of that? Being overtaken. That means I'm moving away from it, but somehow it got the best of me. When you overtake a car, when you're driving down the road, do you ever overtake any? You probably do. I mean, people around here, man, if it's 35, they do 30. If it's 25 here in Kerrville, they do 20. And I'm like, man, you better keep moving or you're going to have to pay rent because you're like you're standing still. All right? And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't got all of East County out of me yet. All right? I want to get to where I'm going. And, and, so, and so sometimes, sometimes it's just like, I know, because I, I talk to him, and, and Debbie's like, I bet they won't do that again. Because <laughs> you, you told him, she's such a help to me there. But I mean, I'm like, hey, you can do it. Go ahead, just stick your nose out a little further. You, you can do it. You, got to, you can make it if you'll just go ahead and turn that thing, you know. They want to wait till there's absolutely no one coming down the road. Now, I know I've chased a rabbit right there. But my, po- my, my point is, and I'm telling on myself, my impatience. I'm just saying, a little bit is not any better than a lot. What, what, if, I, what if I brought you some strychnine at, at the banquet? I said, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that, Sister Gloria. It's just a little. Don't worry about that. Oh, man, that's what gives, that's what gives that brisket. Oh. That flavor, <laughs> just a little. Now, now we. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Uh-huh. Well, think about how we live and what we do, and the appetites that are not yet <clears throat> sanctified. If you have trouble with these things, ask God to help you with it. But if you listen, do we? We get ice around here, right? Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I have to watch coming down here is when I when I feel like it might have been icy. I don't walk on the sidewalk. You know why? Because I don't want to go down there like my grandchildren on skateboards. I don't want to do that. All right? Why? Because you know what? But if you, if you want to keep from falling down, stay away from slippery places. And if you have a weakness in areas, then don't hang around those things. Don't hang around the people that have those things. Well, they're my friends. Well, let me ask you, are your friends bringing you to the light or are your friends taking you away from the light? Friends are like elevators. Some of them take you up, some of them take you down. We're talking about a purifying hope. It's a promised hope, but that knowledge that you have as being a child of God and that He could come any moment, why would you want to be doing something that you know would displease Him? Now, you know, because we do things, we do things, listen, we do things in private that we wouldn't do before anybody else publicly. 
But do you understand this morning that everything that we do, God sees? There's nothing hidden from Him. Let me give you the last thing. It's a purposeful hope. It's a purposeful hope. Notice what it says. Look in verse 14, Titus chapter 2. Now I'm going to hurry. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people. Now watch, zealous of good works. I used that word, I used that word earlier. Peculiar does not mean strange, even though maybe some of you are. All right? That's not what he's meaning. Peculiar here means to be a special people. Do you understand that God intended for the nation of Israel? Did he choose them because they were the biggest? Did he choose them because they were the best? Did he choose them because they had the most in their army? No, that's not why he did it. He chose them because it was going to be through them that the rest of the world was going to learn about the one true and living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God. And it was their job to present Him to the world, and they failed to do that. That's why they were moved off the land, why they went into captivity, and why they are where they are today. So who has that responsibility? It's been incumbent then upon the church. The church was hidden in the mind of God. It wasn't revealed to those Old Testament saints. And now it is us. Paul wrote and said, Unto Him be glory in the church. He's not talking about in this building. He's talking about in our lives. That we are to live in such a way that we glorify Him in our lives. To be that peculiar people. The world may think we're strange because we don't do this or that or that we started doing this or that. It doesn't matter. I'd re- I would listen. I'd rather be pleasing to Him and offend everybody else but knowing that it pleased my Heavenly Father. Now, I don't think I'm, tr- I'm not trying to make five people mad every day. That's not what I'm after. But my point is, is that we ought to be that peculiar people. We are special to Him, and we ought to be productive. What that means to serve Him. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. To serve the Lord, it means that we're to have some works about us. Listen, instead of looking for a blessing all the time, try being one. Be a blessing. And you can't only be a blessing to those that, you know, lost people. They're nice to people that are nice to them. That's no big deal. But try being nice to someone who may not be nice to you. That's hard preaching right there. That's why we don't do a lot of it. Well, I don't have anything more to do with them. They're not very nice. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to go back over there. I'm not going to get in that woman's line. She was ugly to me. All I did was ask her if I just had a stack of coupons. If, listen, if the Lord only fellowshiped with us because of our performance, how much would we fellowship with Him? And if you're only going to hang around, if you're only going to be good to those people that perform to your expectation, beloved, you're going to miss out on something and you're not going to be the productive Christian that God intended for you to be. It gives us purpose. We're to be points of light. I think it was George Bush Sr. that talked about the points of light, right? We're supposed to show them the way, are we not? We're supposed to be those points of light in a dark world. That's what you and I are supposed to be. Don't go there, but listen to this and I'm going to be done. 
In the book of 1 Thessalonians, there in chapter 1, one of the things that Paul commended the churches of Macedonia was that they were in samples to everyone else around them. You read verses 6 and 7 when you get home. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. They were in samples, and you and I are to live as examples of what Christianity is, of what someone is who actually believes that the Savior is coming back. You say, man, if I really, if I really showed how I felt about that, they all might think I'm a little wacky. Well, you know, you, you might be nuts, but you ought to be screwed on the right bolt. Amen. You know, you should be. There's a reason why He's left us behind. This blessed hope, it is ours to enjoy, to revel in, to look forward to. We ought to live that way, beloved. One of these fundamentals of the faith that we ought to be embracing with all of our hearts and give ourselves to them. Amen? Let's pray.